0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Jesus, thank you for your universal church. Thank you for the fact that we are one church united with every human being that trusts in you as lord and king and we thank you for all the local churches in our region that love you that believe the bible that preach Jesus Lord we pray for Kay that you would anoint him and fill him with your spirit we pray he'd be a real blessing and encouragement to Plum Creek Church of the Brethren we pray for the local Nazarene church that's without a pastor we pray you would provide a pastor for them we pray you would encourage them and bless them. And we pray for all the local churches in our region this morning that the lost would be saved and believers would be encouraged. And we, we love you. I ask for your help as we look to your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And the title of the message this morning is A Call to Self-Examination. A Call to Self-Examination. Let me set up what we're going to be talking about this morning before we read the passage. Uh, As many of you know, I like to ride bicycles. And during the summer months, I spend a lot of time riding all around Indiana County, but often spend my time on the Hoodlebug and Ghost Town trails. And if you ride on the Hoodlebug trail, you run or you walk, If you go to Homer City and you go uh, through uh, the Hoodlebug Trail, you will notice, if you're looking, um, a garden on your left-hand side, if you're going south, and it is, I think, one of the best gardens in Indiana County. It might show my age that I'm even interested in looking at gardens, but but this garden has caught my attention for several years, and the reason is because it is well-maintained every year. It is abundant in its fruitfulness. And, and so when I come by like week after week or month after month, I always make, make a, a note to look over and just see uh, what the gardener is up to. And so the, the, the rows are perfect, the, the tomato plants are pruned, and they are abundant in fruit in July and August. And to have a successful garden, you need a number of ingredients. You need good seed. You need a good mixture of sun and rain uh, you need a capable gardener but you can have all those things and if you have this one missing ingredient it will be a bad crop every time that one missing ingredient is the soil if the soil is bad the crop will be bad it doesn't matter if the rain is perfect in amount if the sun and rain mixture is perfect if the seed is the best seed that um, can be bought, if the soil is bad, the crop is bad. And why I'm bringing that up is because this morning we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught about a farmer and about seed and about soil. And he's going to apply it to our own lives. And he's in many ways going to answer the question that some of us might have. Have you ever wondered why there are people that hear about Jesus, hear God's word preached, might even read the Bible but never come to saving faith in Jesus. Have you ever wondered why that is? Have you ever wondered about the people that seem to emotionally respond at meetings, at churches and summer camps and Christian conferences, but then it just seems to fizzle out inevitably every time? Or have you ever wondered about Christians that are running well and excited about Jesus, but then over time, it just seems to fade And eventually it seems like there's little to no life left. Or have you ever wondered why some who are at the exact same meetings seem to grow and prosper spiritually and have abundant evidence of their salvation? Well, we're going to get some of the answers to those reasons this morning in the parable of the seed and the sower. So look with me at Matthew chapter 13. These points are going to be very simple. You're you're going to see them emerge from the passage. We're going to look at three points. The first is this. We must listen carefully to Jesus' teaching. Listen carefully, meaning listen and respond, not just hear. So parents, we often say things to our children or teenagers about, hey, can you take the garbage out? Can you take the dog out? And you come back, circle back around, they're like, "Oh, did you not take the garbage out? Did you not take the dog out? "Oh, I didn't hear you." Well, you have great hearing. You didn't listen. You didn't pay attention. That's what I'm talking about. We must listen carefully to Jesus' teaching. Look at verse one. "That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great crowd and great crowds gathered about him. So the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. This is a cool picture. So he got in a boat and sat down. So there's crowds all along the shoreline and Jesus is in a boat. And where they believe this may have happened, it has a natural kind of rock outcropping that, that creates great acoustics. So they believe he was sitting in a boat. People were kind of circled around the shore and he is teaching. And as was customary in his day, he's sitting down as, he te- as he's teaching. So it's kind of opposite of what we're doing right now. So maybe we should reverse that. I should be sitting in a chair and you guys have to stand the whole time. So that, that's what was happening there. And he taught in parables. You might not know this, or you might be surprised by this, but approximately one-third of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament are parables. A parable is basically a simple story that is made up to illustrate a truth. And it was a very common teaching tool that Jesus used over and over again. So this morning, we're going to look at one parable, the parable of seed and the sower. But in chapter 13 alone of Matthew, there are actually seven parables. And depending on how you count parables, there are between 40 and 60 some in the New Testament. There's some debate about what exactly is a parable. Is it an illustration or is it a story? The point is there's a lot, and Jesus used them effectively to teach truth. So here's the parable in verses 4 through 9. So he's going to explain the parable. Then he's going to leave the crowd. And the disciples are going to ask him about the parable. And then he's going to explain not only the purpose of parables, but what this parable actually means. So here's the parable. And as he sowed, so he's talking about a farmer. As he sowed, so he has seed in his hand, or most likely wore a bag and he's throwing seeds. So as he's sowing the seed, um, al- some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came down and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. So he's just casting seed out. Where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. So the plants grew and the thorns grew with them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So the last group is this abundant, fruitful group like the tomato plants along the Hoodlebug Trail. Then he says, He who has ears to hear let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is teaching. And we would do well to listen, to pay attention, to do what He instructs us to do. So your Bible probably says in the heading, the parable of the sower. And that's catchy and that's memorable. But it's more accurate to say, the parable of the soils. Because this really is primarily talking about the soil. So let me explain. The four soils are really the the representation, and we'll see more details here in a moment, of the conditions of the human heart. So we've got four different soils. We have the seed. The seed is the word of God. And the sower, the one who's planting it, in this parable, is Jesus himself. But in a broader application, it's anyone who shares the good news of Jesus. So, I said the title of this is A Call to Self-Examination. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to evaluate, just in your mind right now, which of the four soils do you think most represents you right now? At your spiritual core. See, the heart in the Bible is really the, the center of the human. Not our physical heart, but our spiritual core, our mind, our thought, our will. What is the condition of your heart this morning if you did an honest self-examination or self-assessment? Is it spiritually dead and cold and barren? Is it rocky? There's some, there's some good stuff, but it's, it's rocky. Is it weed-infested? Is, is there just thorns and thistles and cares all tangled up in there? Or is it abundantly fruitful right now? No matter which of the four you're in, the Lord has something for you this morning. He wants to move us along wherever we are. And we're going to see that. uh, He's going to skillfully do that through this passage. But we would do well to pay attention. Listen to what James says in James 1, 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James uses a a really kind of humorous illustration. So imagine you got up this morning for church, you looked in the mirror. Things were a bit out of sort. Hair's growing in weird places. Hair's sticking up. Um, you take an assessment, and your assessment is like, ooh, you know, that doesn't look so good. But then you leave the mirror, and you just drive to church. You do nothing about it. You make, make no adjustments. That's what it's like to repeatedly hear God's Word and not respond, not pay attention not seek to apply what you see and what you hear. And so this this parable is meant to probe. It's meant to diagnose. It's not meant to take us down this this self-inspection that's this dark and gloomy thing. It's meant to take an assessment and then turn to Jesus and respond. We won't be stuck in the self-assessment part or the self examination part, but we need to be an honest, take an honest look, and then we move to Jesus. So the disciples are a bit confused because they've been around Jesus a lot, and he keeps teaching in parables, kind of like riddles. So without an explanation, you're left to wonder what does that really mean? So after he teaches this large crowd, he removes himself from the large crowd, and the disciples want to know. Why are you doing this? Why do you always teach in parables? Why don't you just tell us what the point is without even telling the story? Which brings us to the second point. We should be amazed if we understand Jesus' teaching. We should be amazed. You and I should be amazed if you really understand Jesus' teaching. When he teaches, when you read the word and you have an understanding and there's faith with that, it should be an amazing thing and, and Jesus is about to tell us why. Look at verse ten. The disciples came to him and said to him, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" So they're they're confused. Why, why are you doing that, Jesus? Why not just tell them? Why tell them a riddle? Verse eleven. And he answered them, "To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven." but it has not been given given to them. So in the Bible, the word secret, or your your translation might say mystery, it's not like an unsolved mystery like the TV show. It's a, a truth that was hidden and has now been revealed. So Jesus is saying, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you know that I am the promised Messiah. I am fully God and fully man, and when I began my ministry, the rule and reign of the kingdom of heaven has come. That has been revealed to you, he's saying to the disciples. That's also a truth for every believer in Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is God, you turn from your sins, you trust in him, you believe he died on the cross as fully God fully man, suffered, bled and died, and rose from the grave on the third day and ascended to heaven. You didn't just come up with that. You didn't just weigh out all the world religions and philosophies and think, oh, I'm pretty smart. This one makes the most sense. It's the only one that resolves the human dilemma. No, you came to faith in Jesus because it was revealed, because God opened your eyes. Look at verse 12. For the one who has more... It will be given, and he who will have an abundance, but for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. See, Jesus has been teaching lots of Jewish people that knew the Old Testament, and they were rejecting his teaching, like the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, because of the hardness of their heart, I'm not going to keep giving them more and more. They are making willful choices to reject who I am and what I have to say. Then he says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So now he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 6, and the context is God's people, the Israelites, have turned from God to sinful activities in abundance. And the consequence of their sin in Isaiah is they're going to be um, captured by Babylon and enter a period of Babylonian captivity, all because of their hardness of heart. So this is what he says in the quote, "'You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed.'" lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So we we have a strong push to human responsibility. We are culpable. We are responsible when we rebel against the Lord and we reject Him. So if that is you, if you think Jesus is not real, I want nothing to do with Him, that is a very serious, serious dangerous space to be in. And you have an opportunity to turn from your unbelief and call out to Jesus for faith. But if you are a believer in Jesus, you should be amazed that you are a believer. Look at verse 16. He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying it to all the believers that would follow. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, spiritually speaking, and your ears for they hear your spiritual eyes see and your spiritual ears hear so when we were singing the songs this morning if your heart was engaged and your your faith was real and you really resonated with the lyrics of the songs and the verses that were written below blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear You have experienced the greatest miracle humanly possible to experience. The Bible uses the big word regeneration or being born again. You have been made spiritually alive. You were dead spiritually, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, and then you were made alive. So if you see Jesus, you love Jesus, you know Jesus, blessed are your eyes for they see, for your ears, for they hear. Now listen to this. This is wild. Verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. I mean, just start with the all-stars of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, Abraham, Ruth, Esther. You pick whoever you want. You see more and know more than they did they had faith but it was it was clouded you have the clarity of who jesus is and you understand why he came to earth and you if you are a believer you've responded to that you have experienced the greatest miracle that any human can ever experience truly i say to you many prophets Prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let me debunk once for all that if you have a testimony, you think it's just not that amazing. It's not that incredible. If you believe what the Bible says about human nature and the sinfulness of human nature, and that by nature we are all destined as objects of wrath, as it says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and then we have been made alive, as it says in verses 4, 5, and 6. No matter if you got tangled up into wild behavior before you met Jesus, or you were born again at the age of four, you have been made alive. You have been awakened And Jesus would say to you, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear, and your spiritual heart, for it beats. So you have an amazing testimony if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, if he is your Lord and Savior. You didn't do that. Yes, you responded by faith, but God in his grace made it real to you. He made you alive. And you see with greater clarity than the saints of old. Verse 17 again. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see. They did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. What maybe some of you have heard since you were three and four and five. Just the fact that you heard it at a young age is another evidence of God's love and grace and mercy in your life. Not everybody in this room got to hear about Jesus at a young age. Some in this room met the Lord way later in life. So be amazed if you can see through the eyes of faith and you can hear the voice of Jesus and you believe and your heart beats See, the purpose of parables is kind of twofold, Jesus is saying. They both reveal truth about God, about Jesus, and they also conceal truth about Jesus to those who don't yet believe. Think about this. We, we often sing, not just in this church, but really Christian churches throughout the world, sing the song, the hymn, Amazing Grace. That song was penned by a man who was a wicked, evil, by his own words, slave trader. He, he participated in the slave trade. And he came to faith in Christ. And he wrote this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Like he believed the word wretch. He didn't want to pencil that out. He was a wretch. John Newton was a wretch. We all, by nature, fall into that category. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. Blind as a bat. Could not see Jesus, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. In other words, God's grace, the conviction of sin, taught him to, in a healthy way, fear the holiness of God. Fear the the judgment of God. Fear the reality that there is a judge who will judge all humanity, and that those who reject him will, will will spend eternity in hell for their rebellion and rejection of the Lord. And those who are in heaven will spend eternity in eternal bliss with the Lord Himself. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and that that awakening led him to turn from his evil sins, and trust in Jesus. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Paul says it this way, for by grace, by God's unearned, undeserved favor, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Jesus is saying the purpose of parables, the reason I teach in parables is it's to conceal truth from those who don't want anything to do with me, and it's to reveal truth to those who follow me. But now he's going to explain what does the parable mean, the parable of the seed and the sower. And it's going to be a call to self-examination. So last point, we must prayerfully examine our spiritual condition. It's going to be four soils, four conditions of the human heart. It represents every single person in this room or watching online. Nobody, Nobody makes it out. So this is what Jesus says. He's left the crowd. He's talking to the disciples. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, Satan, comes and snatches it away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on rocky ground, it's the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. When you go to a doctor, it's check up or you go because you have a problem, what you want them to do is, is diagnose, especially if you have a problem, diagnose what the problem is. And sometimes the diagnosis is bad, like real bad but you still want to know what the diagnosis is because the presenting symptoms will never go away. So kind of in, in um, worst to better or best is the order that, that Jesus is going to go in here. He's going to start with the really severe diagnosis and then he's going to give a positive outcome at the end. So we're going to kind of walk through each of these. Condition one, soil number one, heart condition number one, cold, dead, and unresponsive. That's cheery, huh? Cold, dead, and unresponsive. All of us by nature were once in this category. So there's no judgment if you're in that category. If you are in that category, I am thrilled you're here. Thrilled. You're in, a, you're, you're in a good spot. Now I don't want you to stay there. God doesn't want you to stay there. But just listen if that's you. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, Satan himself, comes along and snatches it up, what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. The idea of the path isn't like a road, but in these, these like uh, farm settings, these, this was the path that everybody walked on. And so it was, it was all just packed way down, hard as a rock. And so a seed would land, but it wouldn't penetrate the soil. And then a bird would come in and snatch it up, so it, it never had a chance. Well, spiritually speaking, that, that's what happens. You come to church or to a Christian meeting or hear something on the radio or watch something online, but it doesn't penetrate. It's the scariest place to be. And if that is you, you need to call to the Lord. Lord, make it real. Lord, keep it from being snatched away. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. See, this is both a warning and, and an invitation from Jesus. He's warning and he's inviting. You don't have to stay there. There can be abundant life in Jesus if you call out to him. Condition, condition number two. This is the impulsive, shallow, short-lived faith. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Years ago at IEP, a number of us were going around sharing the gospel with college students on a Friday or Saturday night, and I met a guy. You never know how people are going to respond. I met a guy, and he was surprisingly excited about what we were doing. Mildly intoxicated and, and, and surprisingly excited And so I began to talk to him about Jesus, and and I told him my name. I think he might even address me by name. He's like, Joe. He was very animated. (laughs) I love this born-again stuff. He's like, I've been born again three times. Um, See, he was kind of what they're talking about. He, He was probably in meetings. He was probably at a camp or a church service, and he responds. And when there's an invitation, he always responds. But when heat comes, when friends begin to challenge him, when verbal persecution, when he's got to make choices as Jesus king or my king, he goes this way and he, he falls away. If you're familiar with the story Pilgrim's Progress, it's like the character pliable. He gets real excited when he, Christian, tells him about Jesus. But then he's pliable. His heart is, is it goes both ways all the time. And he just falls away. You don't have to stay in that category. You want to pray, Lord, give me deep roots. Give me a real faith. Give me grace to truly repent and trust and follow and and submit to you as king of every area of my life. May I not just live a double life here. So if you're in that category, don't stay there. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. I think condition number three probably applies to many more of us in this room. And this is the preoccupied, distracted heart. It's the one that at the beginning I said, have you ever wondered why some Christians seem to be going really strong for a while? And then, then, you know, it just kind of, seems to come to a slow fade and fizzle. This is what Jesus says in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. Like hears and believes, responds. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Remember the parable was thorns and thistles. What happens when Adam and Eve sin? What's one of the responses? Thorns and thistles will accompany you and your work, Adam. It's, it's because of the fall, there's going to be life pressures. Because of the fall, there's going to be things that, that draw us away from Jesus. Because of the fall, we're going to want stuff. And we're going to think stuff will satisfy us more than the living God. And if we don't take that trap, just the weight of the cares and pressures and burdens of bills and work and family and parenting and relational conflict and neighbor disputes and just hard bosses and whatever else it would be, if we lose our our focus off of Jesus, it, it starts to choke us. It starts to choke the life out of us and comes around us kind of slowly. This one's tricky to see because it it starts down at our feet and just begins to wrap around and slowly come up and the life is slowly being choked out of us. It's a dangerous one. This one there's a number of biblical warnings about for Christians. Let me read a couple to you. Timothy says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now don't be confused. Money is not the problem. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There are Christians that are really wealthy and really generous and do not live for money. And there are very poor people that have nothing that love money so it's a heart issue not a number in your bank account it is through the this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs hebrews says it this way by faith moses when he was all grown up refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You might not think about it often, but he was raised in Pharaoh's household. He was loaded. He was rich. He had access to everything. And he gave it all up to follow the Lord who alone will satisfy. Jesus said it this way, For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So if that is you, there may be some rearranging that needs to happen. There may be some confession to the Lord and to trusted friends of, Wow, I am I I took the lie, I took the bait. If I if I just get this next thing, I'll be satisfied. Or I am so overwhelmed by life that I quit spending time with the Lord and my spiritual vitality is is shriveling up. Last soil, this is where we all want to be, is a heart that is abounding with fruit. Abounding with fruit. As for what is verse um, 23? As for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. This is where we want to live. And to get there is actually not near as complicated as we might think it is. I'm going to share one verse with you. If you live this one verse, you will be fruitful spiritually. John 15:5. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If you want to be spiritually vibrant and alive and abundant, stay near Jesus. Stay connected to the vine through reading his word, through gathering with his people, through singing to him through using your gifts and talents and abilities and resources to, to bless his people and to rescue the lost. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is that bears much fruit. Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In this room, there are are many of you that are, are abounding with spiritual fruit. Not because you're clever or not because you're better than others, but you've stayed near Jesus and you keep pursuing Jesus. And that's where we want to live. I want to end where we started. So we're back on the Hootabug Trail. There's a beautiful garden, lots of tomatoes, bounding every summer. Well, that same garden I rode by in September, and you know what I saw? All the plants were down. The soil was already prepared for next spring. The, the, the man was diligent. He was vigilant, and he had the garden all ready. We need to be motivated by and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be vigilant like that gardener. If your heart is cold and dead, ask the Lord to make it alive. If you lack roots, ask the Lord to give you roots. If you're preoccupied, If you feel like you're on a hamster wheel that just keeps spinning with life's pressures, maybe course correction needs to happen. Maybe some more drastic things need to happen. Seek the Lord. Because you don't want the most important thing to be choked out of your life. If you have a responsive heart, stay close to Jesus and bring others with you. See, self-examination isn't so that we stay there. It's so that we run to Jesus. So let's all stand. I'm going to pray. And we're going to close by singing Amazing Grace. And I want you to think of your own story as we sing this final song. Jesus, thank you that you are the friend of sinners. Thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. Thank you that you say if whoever calls on You will be saved. Thank You that You will not cast any of us out if we come near You. Holy Spirit, we pray that if our hearts are crowded, you would, you would pull out the weeds and we would focus and fix our eyes and our heart on You. Would You minister to us and would You receive praise from us as we sing this final song? Lord, fill us with the joy of our salvation thank you that you love us and we ask this in your name amen amen let's sing amazing grace keith's gonna lead us on this last song
1: It's possible that during this song, maybe you've been doing some self-examination or during this message, you've been doing some self-examination and you have some things that you might need some prayer for. We're gonna have a prayer team up front after the service. We would love to pray for you. And just like the parable of the, the sower and the parable of the soils, I have to imagine that there might even be a mixed response even within this room, to that message. There might be people that, that are, have questions or are thinking about what this all means for you and for your life. I want you to know as pastors here at Saving Grace, we would love to have conversations and discussions with you. So feel free to reach out to us at any time. We love questions and we love to be able to, to just have conversations with people about faith. And so feel free to reach out to us at any time. But I want to close in praying that that God would make us alive, that he would give us roots, and that we, he would help us to cultivate soil that will grow those seeds into who he created us to be. And so let's, let's close in prayer. And again, if you've been thinking about anything during this service that you need prayer for, please come up to us afterwards. We would love to pray for you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. We thank you for this amazing grace that saves a wretch like me. We thank you, Father, that we can put our trust in you and you help us to grow. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, help to make us alive in who you create us to be. I pray that you would give us roots that grow deep into your word, into your scripture, that gives us the strength to, to stand strong in any storm, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would help us to keep close to you throughout the days, that the weeds and the thistles would not choke out anything that you have placed in us, Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us with the words of of John 15, 5. Help us to abide in you. Lord, you are the vine. We are the branches. Help us to just abide in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, that we may grow and be fruitful to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.